Hi, and welcome to Beyond Parking, a podcast brought to you by the British Parking Association. My name's Joey, and I'm here today with Julian, and we both work in the technology, innovation and research team. Hi, and welcome back to the third episode of Beyond Parking. And today we're going to be talking to Julian Scriven, who is the Managing Director of Brompton Bike Hire. And he's going to be talking to us a little bit about how the cycling sector and the parking sector could work together to create a multimodal transport system to get people moving a little bit more actively while still obviously using the car for that part of the journey where the car needs to be used. Yes, it's a really, uh, really interesting interview, isn't it, Joey? And he covers so many different uh, topics that are really hot at the moment. The active travel is one, of course, but also linking parking to micro-mobility and last mile delivery. There needs to be a, a bit of a radical rethink about mobility. And this is a great opportunity to learn about what the future holds, how we can think about joining up parking and driving with cycling. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, by the end of the podcast, we were both sold on uh, getting ourselves the Brompton bike to get into work, weren't we? Well, maybe you more than me. I've got a bit more of a distance from Dorking, but uh, yeah, I, I could think about getting a train perhaps halfway and getting on the bike. That could be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, without further ado, shall we listen to the interview? Let's do that. Well, good afternoon, Julian. It's really nice to have you on our third podcast. I'd really like to start by hearing more about Brompton and how it started. Uh, maybe a bit about you um, and your journey to bringing this company to a, you know, a, a sort of as a household name, really, isn't it nowadays? Thank you, and thank you for having me on your your podcast. I'm very excited to be here, especially coming from a, an industry that wouldn't normally be thought of hand in hand with with parking. Um, so Brompton, we started back in 1975. Um, the reason why it's actually called Brompton is because the first bike was built in uh, Andrew Ritchie's uh, second floor apartment in Kensington, overlooking the Brompton Reservatory. You can imagine how fantastically happy his landlord must have been with a man <laughs> with a kind of welding torch burning bits of metal in, the, in his Sorry, uh, apartment. Just a, did you say Andrew Ridgely as in one Andrew Ridgely? No, and, Andrew Ritchie. Oh, Andrew Ritchie, sorry. Andrew Ritchie. Yeah, that would be a fantastic story if Andrew Ritchie, in addition to being a fantastic musician, had also built the first folding bike, but no, sadly not. Okay. So um, we've been going since 1975. As of last year, we produced just over 45,000 bikes, I think it was, which makes us the largest British manufacturer of bikes. And they're all still built in West London, actually at our factory in Greenford. Um, Brompton Bike Car, which is the bit I look after, um, has been going for nine years. Um, I've actually been in the micro-mobility sector now for coming up to five years, I think. And I've been with Brompton for nearly two. And it's, um, it's a fantastic, eccentric, every bit as insane company as you'd expect it to be from the outside. Thank you. That's, that's a really nice sort of uh, background to, to the, the history of Brompton. I mean, we, what we're really interested in, because we are a company, uh, rather an organisation that is looking beyond the parking these days and the traditional art of, as, as you suggested, parking your car. We're really interested to hear about um, other forms of transport that are thinking of parking that we're linking up with with an active travel. And um, I'm wondering, how is um, the whole sort of active travel, cross-modal platform travel, how is that um, affecting Brompton at the moment? What's happening with your business as, as we talk more about linking up and active travel? I think this is a really 
exciting time. And I'm, I'm talking about the last 12 months rather than the last four months that have been perhaps exciting for very different reasons. Um, literally, when I was going to conferences three years ago, cross-modal providers were constantly fighting each other and not actually understanding that it's working synergistically that was going to deliver the optimum solution. In the last 12, 18 months, an organization was formed called the Urban Mobility Partnership, of which Brompton is one, and that has got some of the most unlikely bedfellows in a single organization, and that is Brompton Bike Hire, Nextbike, which is a bike share provider, but it's also got Enterprise Car Club. It's also got Stagecoach, who traditionally bus companies have seen cycling as um, cannibalizing their business. And it's also got rail operators. It's got people from all over the sector who've all kind of figured out that if we work constructively together, uh, we can develop something that really starts to deliver benefits for the users. I think the thing that surprised me most of all, though, was when I went along to the BPA event last year, um, courtesy of uh, one of your rising stars, I believe, a, a lady called Jade Neville, who invited me along and said, you need to come and see the inside of what the parking world is like, Julian. I think you might be quite surprised. And I was. I was because I honestly believe the sole focus would be on perhaps predictably parking cars, when in fact there is a much more holistic view going on. And I think what I'm finding really exciting at the moment is people are starting to completely reassess how different modes of transport interact with each other. I have literally, in the last couple of weeks, uh, agreed a project with a small parking operator called Yellow Park, where we will be supplying them with um, Brompton bikes, and they will be encouraging people who will be traveling into London to drive to their car park, which sits outside the congestion zone, park their car, and then pick up a Brompton and cycle into the city thereby avoiding any issues around uh, having to use mass transit at a time when people are trying to keep social separation. And I'm seeing these kind of initiatives coming up as people are starting to, to be creative. I mean, I know there's nothing good about COVID-19, but I think perhaps some good will come from COVID-19 as people kind of reassess how their businesses work, reassess what benefits they can bring. And I think it's really fascinating to see how the parking sector is is starting to kind of reach out to people like Bob's and say how can we work with you to kind of deliver something that's really relevant to our customer base at the moment. That's really interesting the whole idea of active travel and parking being part of that process the car being part of that active travel um, is something we've been talking a lot about recently. Do you think that it's a business model that could work outside of London? I actually think the whole model of park and cycle if anything, it's going to be stronger outside of London than it is inside of London. Mm. Much as you know, our first pilot, funny enough, happens to be in London. I honestly believe if you start to look at where people are traveling day to day to and from work and what the infrastructure looks like, it's, the places that really struggle are towns and small cities because they don't get the level of investment, or historically not had the level of investment that places like London, Birmingham and, and um, Manchester have had and so they need to be a lot more creative in terms of how they move people around cities and just to be very clear the actual um, purpose statement for Brompton bike hire is change how people move around cities so you know you can imagine I've, I'm talking to one two three four local authorities at the moment 
who are, are talking about large towns or, or small cities where they're saying actually what we want to try and do is create a park and cycle solution so we know at the moment people don't want to necessarily sadly use public transport but for, for the for understandable reasons but we don't want similarly everyone driving into the center of the town and city after we spent the last kind of 20 years trying to discourage that so what's the solution the solution is actually to understand that the bike and the car can be a multimodal solution just like the bike and the train can be mm. i mean just to put this in perspective 91 percent of brompton bike hire journeys are combined with another mode of transport and that's quite often a car because guess what it folds up and it goes very neatly into the boot of a car so you know people can quite happily even if there isn't a an at car park solution for them it doesn't stop them driving the car to the car park with a brompton in the boot and people are starting to think that way and i think it's terrific and i i know that you've moved into the e-bike uh world now with with an e-brompton and you're also involved in hire of bromptons is there a hire scheme as well that's been rolled out yes yeah, so the brompton bike hire um was started about nine years ago we have about 55 locations around the country at the moment uh, we've got as you might expect we've got a lot of demand so we're seeing 17 new locations planned for this year uh, which is which is massive um i think what people need to understand is this is not bike share this is not like those um dockless bikes you find i wouldn't wouldn't want to leave a, a brompton unguarded anywhere anywhere in any city or town it's more like a vending machine for bikes is how i think of it and i think it's very popular with people who are space constrained uh, to put it in perspective that perhaps your uh, listeners will understand a 32 bay brompton dock for bike hire takes up a single parking space wow yeah that's so that's quite an efficient yeah. use of space if you look at it that way and are there any general recommendations you'd have for uh car park operators not just for brompton for any cycle parking what, what are the first things they need to consider if they want to take over some of their prized parking bays in there and transfer them to bikes? Well, I mean, I think the first thing they've, they've got to kind of understand is, which is something they probably know very well already, is, is what's the journey profile going to look like? So um, I've done a, a case study um, with one parking operator where they figured out that their car park was actually about a mile and a half from train station, which was slightly too far for people to walk. Um, but actually their price per day to park was a tenth of what the station car park was. So they figured out they could offer a kind of combined park and cycle ticket for people to use that would enable people to park at their car park, cycle down into in, the train station, then take the train down into London and then use the Brompton around London for the day. So it's, it's kind of understanding how would that look like? I think the second thing people need to understand is... Um, whether it's bike hire or bike share it's all about visibility there's always the temptation when you get something like this to tuck it in the tuck it in the corner out of the way um i can say without any fear of contradiction there is a threefold increase in rentals if the if the dock is visible at the entry exit point uh, for people because human humans are are quite simplistic in some ways and we we know what we see and so much as you can talk kind of um, in a conceptual form, hey, you can hire a bike here, that's very different from actually seeing it in place. And it, we see every single time. So I think those are the two considerations. Number one, if you're going to do it, understand why you're doing it and try and understand what benefits it's going to bring 
to your business over and above just being a thing. And I think the second thing is if, you, if you're going to do it, you commit. You know, it's one of those things you can't be half pregnant. You either do it or you don't. And if you're going to do it, do it properly. Um, because the, you know, the infrastructure is not inexpensive. And so you, you really want it to work if it goes in. I also think that visibility kind of um, highlights how much that particular thing is important to you. So if it's cycling and it's at the front, you're, you're sort of highlighting to your users that actually this is something you're really supporting. I'm just curious about the business model in terms of our membership and the people who are listening. If I was interested in doing this, if I had a car park and I was interested in doing this, how would I, how would I go about that? I say we have 55 locations in the country and I think we have 55 different business models. <laughs> I exaggerate somewhat, but I mean, basically, like everything, there are there, there's kind of two costs involved with bringing a Brompton bike car solution in. One is the capital cost and the other one is the operating cost. Um, in terms of, of what that looks like, um, the good news for everyone is at the moment there is a lot of funding available for infrastructure around active travel, cycling and walking. So actually, it can be as simple as a, as a parking operator going to their local authority and saying, we would like to bring a, um, a shared cycling solution to our location to encourage people to to kind of do that last mile on a, on a bike, would you fund that capital cost? And I know, based on a couple of conversations, local authorities will consider that. They've got the money and they need to spend it and they need to evidence that it's been spent on something tangible, not just frittered away. Um, so you might, you might be pleasantly surprised by having a conversation with that with your local authority. Um, in other cases, in the past with car park owners or operators, um, it's been a case of either looking at, for them, they see it's worth investing in the capital cost. And others, what they've done is we've done a, I hesitate to use the word leasing because leasing has a horrible connotation involving kind of interest and stuff like that, stage payments. So we sit there and say, there will be an annual cost to having a dock there. Or in the case of the fantastic uh, entrepreneur at Yellow Parking, he's not taking a dock. What he's doing instead is he is, um, he is renting some bikes off me and his car park team will be actually doing the whole handing the bike out to the customer and making sure that the customer knows how to fold and unfold the bike and off they go. So he's actually giving almost like a, if you like a parking concierge service, for want of a better word, which I quite like the idea of. Again, it's that, it's that little spark of creativity, that little spark of innovation that's come from someone going, how do I make the most of my parking um, space? It blows my mind every time I see it. That's interesting. I, I think with uh, the push that the government are giving and, and the funding and the general discourse around active travel, there will be a lot of people out there taking up cycling for the first time. So um, broadly speaking, what's, what's the first sort of consideration for someone who maybe hasn't ridden a bike for 20 years like myself? <laughs> um, my, my first, my, your first consideration would be to find someone quiet for your first trip, I would suggest. No. <laughs> Jokes aside, um, there are three reasons why people um, resist taking up cycling, typically. Um, they're, they're listed as safety, competence and cost. So perception of safety, uh, you know, all those roads look very busy and am I going to be safe? Um, that's up for the local authorities to sort out. I'd like to see a lot more segregated cycling to make people feel safer. Uh, the second one is perception of competence. Um, the reason why they say it's like riding a bike is for a reason. Actually, within about 10 minutes of getting back on a bike, even if you haven't cycled for 20 years, it just comes back to you. 
It really does. It's amazing. The muscle memory just kicks in. The third one is cost. And that is, um, I, always, I call it the gym membership syndrome. If I, if I shell out for a gym membership that's got a 12-month lead time, am I then just going to end up using it for two weeks and then guiltily um, kind of looking at, looking at my bank statements every month and thinking, oh, there's another <laughs> few hundred pounds that has left my bank account. Yes, and we've all done it. We've all done it. Um, and it's the same with a bike. People will often kind of hold back on buying a bike because it's even worse, isn't it? Because it's tangible. You have, it yeah. gives you the eye of shame every time you walk past it. And that's, why we came up, <laughs> and that's why we came up with the bike hire. Um, it's, to, it's to give people a try before you buy kind of thing. You know, people might say, you know, oh, you know, should I drive into that terribly expensive central car park every day? Or could I actually park on the, on the outskirts of town in a, in a, in a less... Um, Less expensive car park and also probably a um, better for the environment because you're not sitting in traffic in the centre of town and cycle it. Well, you don't know until you try, but you don't want to buy a bike, try it and discover it's not for you. Better that you can rent a bike for a week or four or five days and try it, see if it gets on. We know, we know from our own data, 10% of our bike car people go on to buy a bike. So we know there's an element of people who are doing exactly that. That's brilliant, and, and it's great to, great to hear that it's working that, that way for you. Um, I'm just interested that um, another thing that will be a factor of all this uh, increased cycling, and we're hearing that maybe e-scooters might become legal at some stage, certainly there's e-bikes. They are competing perhaps for space on the cycle lanes and the roads, um, and it, you could see it as another form of congestion. Um, do you have any thoughts about that, and any thoughts about how that might be managed in the future if, if it's... Mm. Uh, if it's on the uptake? I think, again, kind of going back to those three things, which is um, safety, competence, and cost. I think as safety has to be a key consideration. And um, as, we, as we've known for the last 50 years, what's suitable for a car on a road is not always suitable for a bicycle. The same is gonna hold true for scooters. So what's suitable for a, for a bicycle may not be suitable for a scooter. And just for the simple reason of size of wheels, does that mean they should be banned or anything like that? I don't know that's the case. I think it's more a case of making sure that they are correctly regulated to make sure that they adhere to decent safety standards, um, that they are um, given space. Now, whether that's sharing space with bikes, in principle, I have no problem with that, um, as long as that space is of sufficient quality for a scooter itself. So. I'm not, I'm not anti-scooter. I would, I would just make sure that people understood that um, cycling brings benefits far beyond what a scooter ever will, simply because it's an active travel rather than micro-mobility. What, what a scooter's doing is typically it's replacing walking um, or very short dri driving journeys, whereas you know, a, bike, a bike is actually a lot more flexible. But does that mean it's a bad thing? No, I, I don't see them as intrinsically bad thing. I think they have the capability to be bad, you know, just like everything. I mean, if you imagined uh, a world where cars didn't have to go through MOTs, where cars um, didn't have to adhere to the safety, safety build standards, that would be a terrifying concept. Um, and as long as we make sure that scooters have to go through a, a safety standard, I don't see a problem with it at all. You know. Yeah, and I believe there is a government consultation on exactly that subject at the moment. Is, there is indeed. How, how do you, yes. Um, I was just wondering, uh, we had a webinar earlier this week, or probably when this podcast comes out last week, one of the things that came up about was cargo bikes, 
last mile delivery and people people going out and you that sort of active travel but when they get to their destination for example shopping they then don't particularly want to be on a bike because they're going to come back with shopping bags and how, is that something that you've thought about at all mm. so i mean i think the the buzz phrase for this year before that disease that will not be named uh, came about was was um, actually multimodal hubs and it was actually again I was talking to one of your members in, in great detail about this because car parks are perfectly positioned for this and the whole point was to create modal interchanges so whether you're you're transitioning from um, a car to a folding bike or a car to a um, uh, a cargo bike or to a scooter or to a gas propelled pogo stick whatever the next uh, wave of micro mobility is um, it's it's absolutely relevant and I think not just thinking about customers going shopping but actually start to think about there are big big companies now looking at how that they can do their inner city inner town uh, deliveries by cargo bike and they will need an interchange point between van and cargo bike and again um, fortunately I was talking to uh, someone about exactly this today who was saying, actually, they want to look at setting this up. Now, I can't imagine anyone better positioned than your members to take advantage of that, especially if they see a drop in, in people driving to their locations. If they can have a kind of interchange point where commercial vehicles can pull up, do small unloads into cargo bikes and then zip into town, um, what, a, what a fantastic solution. And, you know, wouldn't it be great if your members were on the cutting edge of this, driving it forwards and therefore shaping it rather than perhaps um, kind of uh, lagging behind and allowing other people to dictate what that looks like? It just uh, what, what you were talking about chimes with you probably know a chap called A. Thompson, who uh, who's heads up the uh, Oxford EV Summit. They've got a e-bike summit as well. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, he's he's uh, re imagined parking as mobility spaces which i think is a great concept thinking of that parking bay is as as you say an interchange between uh maybe a brompton bike or a delivery um there could be a power source for charging up your bike or your car uh it, it's there's so much more that that particular space can be um as long as people talk really because it's yeah. uh it does involve a lot of players doesn't it it does I think that this is this is such an interesting area, and it's like a lot of things. You can either see it as an opportunity or do a king canute and get your feet wet, because it, change is coming one way or the other, and you can be part of that change, or you can resist that change. And unfortunately, um, resisting change very rarely works in the long term, despite the best endeavours of the bus services. Um, well, I mean, A. Thomas, he's so inspirational. I was actually one of the um, keynote spoke speakers at the uh, e-bike summit. And I was, a, I was a, a lesser speaker at the EV summit last year. I remember. And yes. Yeah. He is absolutely on the money. And he is, he is so passionate and so committed to getting people to understand it's about this collaborative solution. And it's about seeing these interesting ways. I mean, just off the top of my head. Um, one of the key resistances for um, e-vehicles is the whole charging problem. 
Now, if you can imagine that putting in lots and lots of charging infrastructure in the center of cities is really expensive. Whereas if it could be at a, a kind of um, a satellite car park where you could drive in, put your EV car on charge, hop on an electric bike or an electric cargo bike and go into town. You then don't have this thing of having to hang around for an hour, two hours, three hours where your car charges. You're getting on with your day. And then, you know, at the end of the day, you turn back up and your car's fully charged and ready to go again. I mean, there's just so many examples where you could do things like that without, without too much um, endeavour. So you have uh, an e-bike, you have a hire business. What's new, uh, what's on the horizon for Brompton, if you can tell us that is? Well, I've, you know, there's a, there's a few things going on. So obviously, our, we launched our electric Brompton last year. And that's been terrifically successful. We sold 5,000 in the first 12 months. And if we're really honest, we could have sold four times that. And we actually had to restrict which markets we went into. Um, obviously, you know, the original Brompton design from 1975 has not really changed, which might surprise you when you hear we've got 25 developers working on the bike year round. And so actually, there's lots of lots of tiny iterations going on behind the scenes. And they used to joke, that Andrew Ritchie could spend up to 12 months retooling a single bolt on the Brompton. And that, that kind of philosophy hasn't changed. So next year, we're looking at some, some new innovations. There will be a new Brompton Electric that's built on the lessons we've learned from this one. We're going to see if we can um, perhaps uh, make them even lighter. At the moment, we have a, um, a titanium hybrid one and we'll see if we can maybe even take a bit higher and there's something very revolutionary which would quite literally get me shocked if i spoke about on a podcast but suffice to say um this is not a business that sits still we we keep changing we keep innovating and i think from brompton bike hire's point of view um we just want to see how we can address the challenges that um local authorities are dealing with so try not to be monomaniacal on on city solutions alone and look at how can how can we help towns how can we help rural areas so yeah interesting time you've piqued my interest there goodness me you're not going to give us a hint no nope. flying bikes nope. <laughs> i'm not curious a <laughs> not a word I wasn't going to talk about this, but I do think it's appropriate, um, and that is to mention um, COVID-19. Mm. And I was just wondering how it's affected you. I certainly know that in um, where I'm based, a lot of my friends have bought bikes recently mm. just to enable them to do more activity. I was wondering yeah. if that had, yeah. how that had affected Brompton, and also um, what your thoughts were on the pop-up cycle lanes that a lot of local authorities are doing at the moment, the temporary cycle lanes. Mm. So I think when we talk about COVID-19, it's, it's a very emotive subject. When, when it all started to come out in March, we didn't know where this was going. I mean, we completely rebuilt all our budgets in the middle of March this year because we didn't know, was cycling going to be a protected industry? Was it not? Was our supply chain going to shut down? Was it not? Were people going to be going out of their houses or staying? So we really didn't know. And it was a very unsettling time for us just like every other business. Um, we consider ourselves incredibly fortunate that the British government took the decision to see us as a protected industry and saw that it was vital to provide um, cycling, both in terms of um, socially separated um, traveling, but also as 
as you you mentioned as a way of uh, taking some some gentle exercise uh, for those people who were um, unable to to go to and from work. Um, the net result for us is, I mean, social distancing in our factory means that we're probably down 20% in terms of our max, uh, maximum manufacturing capability. And yes, for sure, there has been a massive spike, both in terms of bike sales and bike hire. I'll be honest to say at the moment, we do not have a single bike hire bike that's not out on rent I sit here today. Um, more importantly, though, we, we launched something one or two of your um, members may have seen, which was our um, uh, Wheels for Heroes. And it was, it was an accidental initiative. We have a, a member, actually, of Brompton Bike Hire, who also happens to be uh, a senior executive at um, St. Bart's Hospital and you know, uses a Brompton couple of times a week and he reached out to um, our customer service team and said hey would he, could he borrow three or four bikes so he could give them to his team to cycle in and out so we rented three or four our rental bikes um, three or four turned into 20 20 turned into 40 uh, and so at a certain point our, our, our operation team said well why don't we give you a promo code that you can hand out to your team what we didn't realize is they put this on a, an NHS WhatsApp group it went the NHS equivalent of viral, which is probably an unfortunate choice of words these days, but it went, it just went ballistic. And we were suddenly getting people registering to, to take a rental bike, you know, in Portsmouth, in flipping um, Manchester, everywhere. And we're going, what's going on? And they basically, because um, we're doing it free of charge, um, they basically rented out our entire bike car fleet, which was a little unfortunate at the time when everyone else wanted to use it. So we actually launched a crowdfunder and um, basically um, asked our, our members and the general public to help fund us build some dedicated bikes for the NHS. Uh, the, the net result of that was we built, and are building rather, 800 bikes so far. Um, they're all out with the NHS now. So yeah, it's been, a, it's been a roller coaster ride. Demand for bikes is through the roof. Um, and just because, um, we didn't feel we were busy enough. We've done an extra thousand bikes for the NHS um, uh, at a loss, I have to say, which is was kind of the idea. Um, but yes, what do they say? Um, good, um, good endeavors are their own punishment. I think it's fair. <laughs> That's a wonderful story, Julian. Uh, the other one I've heard is never waste a crisis. And uh, I think there's a lot of people who are moving really quickly to, to get things embedded that were moving at a snail's place uh, when it comes to active travel and yeah. thinking about the environment. It's, it's a great opportunity, isn't it? It is. I think this, these temporary cycle lanes are a great initiative. Um, my slight concern, uh, I'm sure your members deal with local authorities day in, day out, as, just like we do. My slight concern is this could be um, a bit of a way to show they're doing something without actually really committing to do something and hope that when it all dies down they can quietly go back to their own ways i don't know that see i know the government have um committed a fairly chunky sum of money towards cycling for the first time and um, as long as that's spent on things that will last um will be great and i think actually the only thing i'd really like to say in amongst all of this is my biggest hope my biggest hope is this could be an early nail in the coffin of tribalism because uh, my biggest frustration is people talking about drivers and cyclists. I do both. 
I use the most, most effective mode of transport for the journey I'm doing. We don't talk about busists and tramists and trainists, but we talk about cyclists and, and drivers, like they're two completely different species. They're the same people. And I think the fact that so many people who perhaps um, only envisaged cyclists as these lycra-clad animals have been exposed to seeing regular everyday people in regular everyday clothes having a tootle along on the road on bikes. Maybe that's going to break down some of these barriers. And maybe, you know, who knows? Here's my vision. You know, Bronson starts working with the BPA on really doing some exciting stuff. And suddenly people actually realize we're all doing the same thing. We're moving people around. And if we can do it in a positive and friendly way, let's crack on. Let's make it happen. And let's never, ever hear about those cyclists or those drivers because they're flesh and blood like everyone else. You know, there's, there's idiots who, who ride bikes and there's idiots that drive cars. It doesn't mean that everyone who drives a car or everyone who rides a bike is an idiot. It just means idiots are able to do everything everyone else can do. Julian, it's been wonderful talking with you today and hearing about the rich ideas you have for the future of, of cycling and obviously of, of Brompton as well. Uh, thank you, Julian. And I've never met a bad Julian in my life, I have to say. Um, <laughs> it's been a real pleasure to be on the podcast. And I continue to be really excited with how an industry like um, parking is evolving so far. And um, I would very much relish coming and um, post all of this, this lockdown, um, speaking to some of your members in the future. Great. Great. Thank you.